So Jesus said, do not judge. So uh, what does that mean for our television output and input? I mean, if last night you were uh, watching something as judgmental, as strictly, uh, or X Factor, should you, are you now under condemnation? Um, is the fact that Simon fell down the stairs two days ago part of God's judgment on judging? Um, what, what are we, oh, should we really be excited about all the, uh, the judging that goes on about deflated souffles and everything else that happens? How should we feel? Uh, should we really be anxiously waiting the arrival of uh, Simon's Got Talents coming on our screens? What's, should this be wiped out? What does Jesus mean when he talks about uh, you shall not judge? What does it mean? And it matters. When Jesus said do not judge, it matters that we understand it. Because these words are not just an isolated few words. They come towards the end of a main body of what Jesus is teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. But essentially, it's Jesus teaching what his new kingdom is going to be like. Uh, we pray, your kingdom come. I wonder if you have any picture in your mind what such a kingdom would look like. And it has nothing to do with angels and harps and all that sort of stuff. It's to do with where, where God rules. All right, The kingdom is where a king rules. So God's kingdom is where God rules and reigns and has his way. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a description of how life should be, which is why it's very dangerous to imagine <clears throat> that Jesus was born as a child, uh, started his ministry, and could have kept himself busy until he did that great supreme act of sacrifice, as though what he had to say was just, well, just to fill in time. Because if these words were from God, and they were, these are the most significant words that humankind has ever heard. So under, to understand what they mean and to apply them is the most important thing we can do. Because by doing so, we start to bring in God's kingdom and show what's true. So what did he mean? Did Jesus mean that, uh, uh, that we are not to make judgments on anything and anyone? We're not to have opinions about anything. We're not to rate people as being incompetent or less competent than us. That for our people around us to be free to do and say anything that they want without us having an opinion or expressing it. Of course, the problem is with words, isn't it? Because the, the word judge, uh, as an adjective, has uh, two distinct meanings. One is to, uh, uh, to, to make a, a rational evaluation. You know, I judge that that mortgage is going to be a better deal than that one. I judge that that car is going to break down less than that one. Uh, I judge that she might make a better wife or husband uh, than that one. Um, I judge that this is a better way to live or not. Um, so that's one way of dealing with the word judgment. The judge. The other one is to is to sit in judgment, to condemn. You know, I, I wouldn't give them the time of day. You know. All those who voted for Brexit are just ignorant racists. Um, uh, please don't take that out of context. That's just an example. Um, you know, that's what you would expect of this kind of person. So it becomes judgmental. So which is it here? Which of these two? Well, as we look at the passage, it makes it very clear uh, that Jesus does expect us to make judgments 
to evaluate, to use our wisdom, our experience, our common sense, uh, and more to make choices. And that's clear from two examples that come in the, the following passage, one of which was read, or was almost read, Matthew 7, as we go on. Jesus talks about, do not uh, uh, give dogs uh, what is sacred, and don't throw your pearls to pigs. Forget what all that means. The issue is, Jesus is saying, you need to be discerning and make judgments about what is sacred and what isn't. So that's all right. He's not telling us we can't do that. Or, for example, a little further on in Matthew, um, he says, uh, watch out for the false prophets, uh, for by their fruit you will recognize them. In other words, to check out whether a prophet is false or not, you have to make a judgment and evaluation of what kind of fruit is coming from their lives. So when Jesus says, don't judge, he's not talking about stopping us judging or disturb, uh, discerning uh, between good or evil or right or wrong or suitable and unsuitable, a good deal or a bad deal, righteousness or unrighteousness. It is something else that he's talking about. So what does Jesus mean? What Jesus is effectively saying is that we are not to be judgmental. And at first when you read this, you might imagine that just means sort of being a bit nitpicking, you know, telling people that they're not up to the mark, continually judging their performance. But there's much more in the original language here than comes through in, a, in the simple translation. If you get to the root of the word, uh, as the Amplified does, you find it works like this. Uh, what Jesus is actually saying is, do not judge and criticize and condemn unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority. Don't judge with an attitude of self-righteous superiority. So what we need to understand is who Jesus was talking to at the time. Whenever you come to the Bible and want to understand it more clearly, there are a number of questions you need to ask of the text. One of them is, who is it being said to? And why? Because you can get hold of that. You can start to understand more than just the words on the page. Now, what Je the people Jesus is saying this to are Jewish people of the time. And the Jewish people at the time believed that they were the pinnacle of God's creation. And everyone else was, was, was far less than them. As far as the Jewish people of the, the time were concerned, no one was as good as them. No one was, was as close to God as them. No one was as worthy as them. You see, the Jews saw themselves as inherently better or more acceptable to God than non-Jews. They actually called non-Jews, the Gentiles, God, uh, dogs. They were better than others, particularly the uh, Samaritans who were of mixed race. Um, uh, so that's where they were. You see, there was no shortage of pride among the, uh, uh, the people that Jesus was talking to, either out loud or subconsciously, because they were God's chosen people. And when you are God's chosen people, you do have a tendency to think you are somewhat superior to those that God has not chosen. Uh, they figured that they were the cream of the crop and judged other people as not being up to it or not worthy. Uh, and there was nothing hypothetical here. This wasn't Jesus saying to them, look, should there possibly come a time in the future when you might feel a bit like superiorly judging other people, don't do it. It wasn't sort of just in case. This was because this was happening to them day in, day out, either overtly or subconsciously. 
Uh, is that true of us? Well, I think possibly it is. It was in 1997, all that time ago, that Tony Blair was ushered into his, his first uh, uh, prime ministership. And it was on that day or that week that the Sunday Times produced a, an illustration on its front page, which so struck me at the time, I saved it and thought there will be some time in the future where this might come in handy. 1997. And the day that it might come in handy is today. Isn't that remarkable? Here it is, all right? This is the, this is the picture uh, that uh, was on the front of the Sunday Times. Underneath this picture, which... Uh, for the millions who will be listening to this streamed online later, I need to explain what you're looking at. Um, six, six pictures. Underneath was, a, was a, a line which said, would he have been elected if? All right? Would he have been elected if? And, of course, one of the photographs that, that in the top left-hand corner, uh, we, we, we've got uh, uh, Tony Blair bald. Now, I find that simply offensive, but that's, that's where we are. Would this, you know, this, this guy, with the, all the image, have had enough votes if he'd uh, been like that? Or you've, you've, you've got him uh, uh, with some wadgy teeth, you've got him with a turban, uh, you've got him uh, far too short, and, uh, and you've got him with a, with a, with a, with a flat cap. E, my lad. Uh, and what they were saying was, underneath this, there's, a, there's an element of truth that says that as we come to make decisions about life, there is something underlying where we kind of feel that some people aren't quite good enough and up to it. We judge by looks and face and hair and clothes. Uh, we judge that simply they're not quite good enough and not quite good enough for us, not much rational there. Uh, maybe not willfully, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. And we may find hard to admit it, but there are those times when I think it becomes true of the whole of, our, of many in our population, and maybe even us. You know, well, they, actually, they didn't have the right education. Uh, or certainly it wasn't the best university. Uh, they don't speak well. They don't say sandwiches, they say sandwiches. Uh, they got dirt under their nails. They drive a Skoda, you know. Uh, they live in a terrace house and there's no one sweet. Um, have you seen how they hold their cutlery? Have you been there? Uh, my dear, they read the sun, dear. They read the sun. And of course, that kind of subconscious prejudice, judgmental prejudice, does work the other way around. I have had people say to me, well, of course, they're telegraph readers. You know, what do you expect? They're telegraph readers, you know, uh, stuck up. That's what they are. Who do they think they are? You see, and it's not just about prejudice. In either way, it's about superiority. And I think that though that might be the way our culture works, the way it's done around there, I find it very easy to get sucked into that myself. I find as I talk to you about it, this comes back bouncing at me very clearly, that deep down, subconsciously, it's reflected in the way I respond and behave, in the way that we choose those we spend time with, the way we choose those who we invite or don't, the way we respect and value others that are around us. 
And Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, do not judge. Do not behave as though somehow you are in some way superior to, to the other people around you. And he says it, I think, for three reasons. First, it's because what we believe is not all that matters. What we believe certainly matters. What we believe about God and his kingdom, what we believe about Jesus, who he is, why he came, uh, and our belief in him is absolutely fundamentally foundational uh, to our lives. Uh, But the thing is, though truth matters when we arrive at the pearly gates or however that works, there will not be a quiz on doctrine, all right? There will not be three questions to be asked about whether you've, you've got your doctrine right. In fact, later in Matthew, it's where Jesus tells the parable of the the goats, the sheep and the goats. And he says they'll be divided on that great day. And he says the goats will be cast in one direction and the sheep will be welcomed in the other. And he describes the goats as those people who behaved with a prejudice, with a judgmental prejudice. He he talks about those who, who did not visit, did not care for the poor or those who had no drink, or those who had no clothes. In other words, the actions were that we were better than them and they weren't needed. He talked about those who did not visit or take care for the strangers. Strangers were not worthy to be had, so they were left. Uh, He talks about those who did not visit those in prison, didn't consider them worth and valuable to do it. Uh, And he says, it's based on that actions that you will be judged not judged in terms of our eternal destiny, that is secure if we've got faith in all that Jesus did, uh, but it talks about the rewards and our relationship with God. You see, if belief doesn't uh, end up, uh, result in behaving, it's not belief, is it? You can believe in soap, but you've still got a dirty face, you haven't applied anything. If belief doesn't issue into behaving, it's not belief. Uh, we here in, have been going through 1 John, the last preaching series. If you got anything out of that 1 John series, at the heart of it was John simply saying to the churches then, you will know you believe because you keep Jesus' commands. Well, not to judge is one of those commands. See, genuine faith leads us to building our lives on Jesus' words. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, all this great kingdom stuff that helps us to know how we are to live as followers of Jesus, Jesus tells a parable. You'll be very familiar with it. It's the parable of the two builders. And you sing these happy songs in junior church and you think this is very sweet. It's important to understand where it comes. The two builders, one one who built his house on rocks and one who built his house on sand, comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' teaching, of which judging and don't judge is, is, is there. And he says, those who hear my words and obey them are like the wise man who built his house on a rock. In other words, if you don't hear God, Jesus' words and obey them, you'll finish up like the house in the picture there with its foundations gone because it's not built on a sure foundation. See, some people think that, uh, that what Jesus is saying, you've got to build your, the rock is him. He's not that at all. He's saying, my teaching is foundational if you want to live a life which is filling and true and workable and re- represents my kingdom. So that's one reason. 
because, uh, because uh, f- faith is not all that matters. The second thing is because we need to, to, uh, we need to obey because we need to have a more realistic view of ourselves. Here Jesus tells the story about the, the plank and the splinter, doesn't he? Uh, and our problem is that as we sit in judgment, superiority, uh, we need a more realistic view and perception of ourselves. We are not as at fault as we think. Or often it can be simply said that the person or the, situ- the person that we're subconsciously or, con- or consciously condemning, we simply do not know their story and do not know their background. All we see is what they are doing. And after all, why are their faults any greater than ours? Why are the splinter in their eyes any worse than the plank in mine? My plank of greed and self-satisfaction and pride and even judgmentalism. See, we too easily have an inflated opinion of our own culture, our own way, the way we do things, what we're worth, and where we're in God. And indeed, the plank that's in our eye can stop us having a realistic judgment about who we are and how poor we are in God's eyes, really. And the third reason is because of this is how Jesus lived. All right? When Jesus said to the, to the people hearing him, uh, do not judge, they were hearing it from someone who they observed as living a life which was non-judgmental. He was not asking anything of them, and he asked nothing of us that doesn't reflect the way he actually lived. Jesus lived consistently, criticized for his disgraceful acceptance of those who he should have judged in their eyes. Jesus touched the unclean. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus accepted devotion from a prostitute. Jesus took the side of a woman caught in adultery. Jesus made a hated collaborator with the invading forces, one of his key followers. Jesus spent his time with a woman of a despised race. The behavior of Jesus in his time was scandalous in the eyes of others. Why? Because they expected him to judge them, and he didn't. Jesus didn't require anyone to clean up their act before he they hang around, hang around with him. In fact, Jesus was a living demonstration of giving value to all, no matter who. And in the same way, Jesus wants our lives to declare that everyone has value and worth. Everyone has value and worth, no matter their class, their status, their sexuality, their history, or whatever. And after all, hasn't Jesus already done so by giving his life for them. I mean, Jesus didn't uh, die for some of the world, did he? God sent his son so that the whole world had the opportunity to be saved. Jesus gave his life, poured out his blood, not just for nice people, but actually for the people who are nowhere near nice. Everyone. Jesus, in his death itself, showed that everyone has worth and value. So how can we sit and be superior 
in judgment of those who gave his life for. Uh, a good friend of mine is a, an international speaker who travels to major conferences around the world. And as a result, he often finds himself passing from one time zone to another and being caught up in severe jet lag. And he tells the story of being in a, a city, uh, I think it was in North America, where he'd come back, and about three, three o'clock, half past three, four o'clock in the morning, he and his wife were just, could not sleep. And they decided to leave the hotel where they, and try and find somewhere they, where they at least get a, a coffee and a bagel or something. And to his surprise and delight, just around the corner from the hotel was a bar which was open, and he slept in there, and uh, they ordered their coffee and their bagel, and they sat down to eat. And then he began to realize the bar at four o'clock in the morning now was beginning to fill up uh, with women who had been selling their bodies through the night and now were gathering to share their stories and to, to have a, a coffee and a breakfast. Uh, and, and he heard all the gaggle of conversation going on. And he heard one of them say that uh, tomorrow is my birthday. And uh, quietly, he uh, went up to the uh, barman and said, um, without anyone hearing, he said, do, do these girls come here every morning? Oh, yes, he said, that's why we're open. You wouldn't expect us to find us open uh, apart from that. Oh, okay, he said, do you know the name of that girl uh, that said it was, that she's her birthday tomorrow? Oh, yes, he said, that's Janice. The following night, early hours, my friend and his wife set their alarm, got up about half past three, went to the bar, and as the girls came in, Janice was met with a birthday cake and candles to celebrate her birthday. Her response was, no one in my whole life has ever baked me a birthday cake before. And she said to my friend, who are you? What are you? He said, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian preacher. I, I lead a church. She said, what? What kind of church? He said, uh, a church that throws birthday parties for girls of the street. Oh, she said, I would go to a church like that. And it's that kind of underlying attitude that fuels our situation. So what does this mean to you and me? What does it mean? How do we relate and value and consider those that, other than those we consider as our kind of people. Who do we leave out? Sometimes consciously, sometimes just by unconsciously. And let me say that this is not me standing here using God's word to get at you. I would be much more comfortable sitting there and having someone else say this. Because the, I find these words strike my heart deeply. All right? Because I recognize that I simply is not as unjudgmental as Jesus. At times I ask myself, am I even trying to be as inclusive and loving and caring as him? If you've been doing the 40 days of uh, community, as I have, uh, the great takeout from me was a, a phrase early on as we talked about loving one another. And it said this, um, Lord, it was a prayer, Lord, show me the person you love so that I may love them too. Lord, show me the person you love, that I may love them too. And of course, that love is not an emotional love, but a practical love and expression of caring and inclusivity.
So help me to see that and to do it. And what about, what about the church here? What, what, what might this mean for us? Probably not, probably you're not part of the PCC or any decision-making process here, but we are a collective body together who's helping make things happen. So, so I wonder, without seeking to be judgmental myself, uh, how do our church's priorities show themselves in the church budget, by use of resources? What do they reveal about our subconscious judgment and assessment about the value and importance of others in our community? I mean, is it an accident that, all, that almost, well, the vast majority of those who make up this church family are nice specimens of middle class and upper class respectability. I mean, is that all we've got in Claygate? I don't think it is. And I want to say that I think there are some ways in which this church is getting it extremely right in certain areas on this. But could we do more? Would those that Jesus spent his time with so often find themselves comfortable in our presence here? Indeed, this church has a strap line. I just wonder if it would be more honest if it had a couple of words added in. All right? See, I've been struck by Paul's letters to the churches. All right? And if you look up beneath the surface of the letters that, that Paul's writing to, to the churches, it's quite clear that the churches Paul wrote to in the New Testament were not full of nice, clean, tidy people who had their lives together. He was basically writing to people which would be like herding a bunch of cats. People who are trying to make a journey, people struggling to understand, people making mistakes, people doing bad things, and he's trying to help them find their way. They weren't people who had already got it together. Now, this is not necessarily talking about us starting a new initiatives here, seeking out Claygate's red light district, which probably doesn't exist, but I think you know what I mean. It's about our own attitudes and actions towards those Jesus valued with his life. But as I close, let me make one thing clear. Treating people with respect and trusting them for who they are does not involve necessarily approving their behavior and what they're doing. When Jesus caught a woman in adultery, uh, he spoke clearly about sinning no more, but accepted her as a person. When we uh, express judgment on behavior is one thing, but we're not judgmental about the person. We're not showing approval of what they do by showing approval of who they are. You see, we see sin for what it is, and we see them for who they are. Made in God's image, those that Jesus died and rose again for, that's them. So I want to conclude with a video video which helps us to understand the God we worship, how he is inclusive without being judgmental, and the challenge to do the same.